Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase and a member FDIC 2024 J.P. Morgan Chase and Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Pushkin. I'm ready. I'm going to start us off, okay? Okay, do it. Smiling. <laughs> keep smiling. Keep shining. Keep shining. Knowing you can always count on me. For sure. That's what some of my best friends are for. <laughs> Man, you got it. <laughs> I'm Khalil Gibran Muhammad. I'm Ben Austin, and, and even after that song, we're, we're still best friends. <laughs> one black. One white. I'm a historian. And I'm a journalist, and in this show, we wrestle with the challenges and the absurdities of a deeply divided and unequal country. And in this episode, we're exploring the story of the Florida man who calls the teaching of the history of race and racism, or AP African American Studies, propaganda and indoctrination. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Florida man here is Ron DeSantis, and he and his conservative cronies, they are sabotaging this advanced placement African-American studies course. And we're going to look at the national implications of this move. Let's get to the show. Let's do it. Khalil, in January, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, Republican, announced that he was going to ban this AP African-American studies curriculum in his state. I mean, I've heard I've heard all about it. He he is he is about to ban our show, too. I mean, that's that (laughs) I have a friend inside of the of the governor's mansion who sent me a leaked memo that says hope, some of my best true. friends are is way too woke. It will potentially <laughs> infect the minds of our students in the state of Florida. It lacks any educational value and we need to go after it. 
So those are the things that his education department or people in his administration said about this AP curriculum, what you just said about our podcast, and both are probably not true. Yes. He called it woke indoctrination, that it lacks <laughs> educational value. And actually, let's hear Ron DeSantis uh, basically trash this AP curriculum. This course on black history, what are one of, what's one of the lessons about? Queer theory. Now, who would say that an important part of black history is queer theory. That is somebody pushing an agenda on our kids. And so when you look to see they have stuff about intersectionality, abolishing prisons, that's a political agenda. And so we're on, that's the wrong side of the line for Florida standards. We believe in teaching kids uh, facts. Mm. <laughs> I, I love it. Teaching kids facts. Like I, I love that you responded to this because... Since this story broke in January and then in February, the, the college board who, who creates the AP curriculum actually came out with a curriculum with, with a bunch of revisions. You've been in the news. You've been all over the place talking about this. And, and in the way that our you know, soundbite uh, social media news cycle works, even things you've said became part of the news, right? <laughs> Actually, I'm just trying to drum up, you know, even more downloads for our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Fox News uh, had a headline of a story and said, Ivy League professor, meaning Khalil Gibran Muhammad, on MSNBC trashes critical race theory critic as fake journalist. <laughs> well, I mean, I was really just giving the facts of the guy's actual hey, credentials. That's, that's what Ron DeSantis wants him. too. I, I didn't trash him. That <laughs> I know you didn't, man. I know you didn't. But this is this is why it's so great because now you and I get to talk about this subject. We get to talk about this AP curriculum and all that it means. So let's jump into this important story. Yeah. All jokes aside, this really is fundamental to who we are as a country. It's fundamental to our capacity to make the changes that you and I think are so important, and so many of our guests have been talking about all season. All right, my man, here's how I feel like we can talk about this to actually sort of explain what has happened uh, throughout this process. So the college board, which, which writes the AP curriculum for states and then for the entire country, they created an African-American studies curriculum. And they said that they were piloting this in, in I think, about 60 different schools across the country. Yeah, something so they like sort of, that. That's right. They had, they had like a draft of this going out. And that mm -hmm. draft is leaked and uh, conservative news media and then Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, sort of jump on this and uh, criticize it when they start seeing what's inside the curriculum. The governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, and the Department of Florida Education got hold of what was in the framework. They called it a framework. And it listed a number of topics that would be explored in this future curriculum. And some of it was about Black Lives Matter. Some of it was about reparation. Some of it was about people who are Black and queer. And more particularly, it was about a number of topics that, that you and I are constantly historicizing because they overlap with the story of our lives. In other words, That's things right. have been going on since the civil rights movement, you know, like and, since and the 1970s. And we heard DeSantis in the opening, and we heard sort of him talking about what he felt was the problems of, the, of, of this curriculum. And one of the other things that he's able to say is that it's actually against the law in the state of Florida to teach these things, which is crazy because yeah. 
the laws have changed in the last two years there. So there's That's a right. stop. There's a stop woke act that that bans the the teaching of critical race theory there. Some yeah. aspects of the courts have sort of challenged some aspects to it, and. Not not just critical race theory, but also the sixteen nineteen yeah, project. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad that you're, you're you're emphasizing this point because here he basically set the conditions in place to render anything like what we're talking about with this African American studies and things to come as illegal. I mean, talk about a rigged system. You you have a situation where you've defined an entire category of knowledge as potentially divisive, and not just about race and racism, also about sex and sexism. This is as much about gender issues in the broadest sense as it is about, about race. And so That's right. here, here you pass a law a year ago, they say, hey, we're not gonna allow these things and we're gonna call out the 1619 Project and other things. And of course, this curriculum comes along independent of the state of Florida's own retrograde backwards agenda, and he's like, ah, see, it breaks our law. Can't use it, it here. Yeah, but it's here's crazy, the thing. Sir. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. No, so I just want to talk about what happens next. So there is this sort of conservative attack on this curriculum. And then the college board comes out on February 1st, the first day of Black History Month. They release the, the final version of this class. And it suddenly has omitted, it's excluded all these things that, that conservatives like DeSantis have said have, are problematic. That's right. And very conveniently so. I mean, you took a look at it. What did you think when you saw some of the things between the before and the after? Well, you know, here's one of the things I thought about. Like, you and I are both teachers. We both teach college courses, and I've taught high school as well in the past. And when you make a curriculum, you do have to make all sorts of choices, right? You mm -hmm. have to, you can't teach everything in the world. And That's so right. you have to, you might teach you know, my new book, Correction, and, and your book, The Condemnation uh -oh. of, of, of Black, <laughs> a, a Condemnation of Blackness. Oh, man, see, you don't even, you're stumbling on the title of my book after all these <laughs> and that, years. And Ed that's Tuberte. all you really need. And then, and then you throw in some other, like, you know, here and there things. But, but, but this is more than just that kind of, uh, you know, natural pruning that you have to make to fit things into a class, right? That's this right. is something different is going on here. Well, the thing is, I mean, when you look at the before and after, it is obvious that they've turned something that was defined as African-American studies, which is inclusive of history, but also includes concerns about the present. If you take a sociology class right now on any college campus, you're going to talk about the prison industrial complex. You're going to talk about policing. You're going to talk about the current education system. That's right. So the thing about African-American studies that is different than African-American history is it is a conversation between the past and the present. That's what it was built to do. And so they took out basically most to the present. So you were among 800 scholars who criticized this and wrote a public letter. What did the letter say? Well, just to be clear, the letter basically said, because it came out before the revised curriculum, but it was intended to come out right before because we were concerned as the drafters of the letter that there would be political influence by Florida and that we would see the kind of changes that we saw. So we didn't want this celebratory news story on February 1, on the first day of Black History Month, to be like, oh my God, look at this amazing thing that the College Board has done without right, paying right. close attention to the implications that Florida governor had in fact influenced it. So what we said is that the College Board has an obligation to uphold the standards of academic freedom and to protect the broad range of academic interest expressed in the original curriculum. 
and that Ron DeSantis ultimately was trampling upon their autonomy as an organization, as well as implications for all people doing this kind of work in the field. So that a politician censoring academia is is problematic in itself. Uh, just not sort of only stepping that, into but, this. Yeah, but like, you know this as well as anybody. You're a journalist, right? I mean, this is this is the equivalent of some politician somewhere saying that you, I mean, let's not even make it hypothetical. Your book could be banned in the state of Florida, like, yeah, precisely because of the content of it. So the implications yeah. are massive and yeah. different from all the states that have passed these anti-CRT laws and book banning laws. The difference is that what happened here has national educational implications. Did you you took an AP class, right? And how did it work? Remind me how your AP class worked <laughs> and why you took it in high school. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so we're going into AP. I I probably only took AP European history. This is going back to the the, the late late 1980s. Yep. And you probably took like three or four APs when we were in high school together. Yep. But 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 it's a way to get college credit. So it That's says right. that you you know if you if you get I think if it's a the top score is a five, the next score is a four. You get college credit if you get a high score, and it shows that you're college ready. It just shows that you're taking you're you're taking the highest level classes in your school in a way. That's right. So your AP European history, like my AP American history course, we both did well enough to get credit going into college. But guess what? What do you get? I got I got a, I got a five. I got a four. Yeah, uh, pretty sure <laughs> yes. I got a four. <laughs> <laughs> well, my four was just as good in terms of one, you know, the four yeah, hours of credit. You, yeah, you became a historian. Uh, look at me. So you no man. You what are you that. talking about? You use look, that. Look. So my here's the thing. What people have to appreciate why this has national implications is because this AP class will define every AP offering in this course across the entire United States, not just in Florida, it's not, not just, just Florida. in Tennessee, not just in Illinois, where we went to school. And guess what? All the colleges that then will be asked and universities to accept this curriculum in terms of giving credit to those students. So everybody's invested in this. So that's why this is such a big deal. I'd like us to talk about maybe a few specific writers and texts that were taken out of this AP African-American studies curriculum and use that to think about the bigger issues, what happened there in Florida and now the country, and how we're supposed to think about this. Okay, all right. And maybe maybe a good place to start is one of the authors who was omitted from the AP curriculum is James Baldwin. I know, man, it's unbelievable. Let's talk about what it means that he's actually removed from this curriculum. Right. And so, you know, when you when you look at the curriculum, the final version that came out, it has Martin Luther King, it has Malcolm X, and it sort of jumps over James Baldwin and and a lot of stuff of sort of the Black Power movement, and you know, it, 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 maybe it even kind of <laughs> kind of stops there. It not it not only stops there. The original full curriculum had a whole unit on the Black Panther Party. It even dealt with the Nation of Islam, which, frankly, you know, aside from my own family history, you can't actually understand Malcolm X without putting the Nation of Islam in its own historical context. The original unit they had was from the Fire Next Time, Baldwin's 1963 essay. Yeah that is an interrogation of the Nation of Islam. Because Baldwin was trying to make sense of this alternative path to self-determination and independence for Black people. In other words, one of the most 
dominant strains of black thought was black nationalism. And at the time when Baldwin was writing The Fire Next Time, he was trying to make sense of these different paths. All of that's gone. Yeah, and one of the ironies of this curriculum is that the whole idea or the idea of black studies sort of emerges from this moment, from this protest moment. Correct. That this is when the field is invented. That's and right. And so that to remove sort of the genesis exactly. of it feels feels ahistorical. And and a last question on Baldwin before we move on. Why do you think he was the target of of removal? Why would he sort of spur this kind of uh, backlash against him? Well, I think Baldwin is controversial today because Baldwin's critique of white liberals has been a very prescient uh, voice in this moment. His, his, his attempt to try to give voice to the contradictions of a country that claimed this, you know, this American exceptionalism, this, this city on a hill, this American democracy like the world had never known. And when you listen to Baldwin, you hear him really fundamentally articulating that the damage of racism was really the moral perversion of white people. They've been raised to believe, and by now they helplessly believe, that no matter how terrible their lives may be, and their lives have been quite terrible, and no matter how far they fall, no matter what disaster overtakes them, they have one enormous knowledge and consolation, which is like a heavenly revelation. At least they are not black. Yeah, it's like a, it's, it's a, such a powerful rendering of white privilege. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And, 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 his, and, it, and in his amazing locutions. <laughs> I just want to repeat this notion of white privilege as you put it. At least they are not black. And see, that's, that is Baldwin putting his finger on the deepest wound in the American psychology, which is to say a long time ago, this country decided they, they would define blackness as those who would, whose lives would subsidize the freedoms of others. And that's, mm. that is the, the third rail of American politics right now that people like DeSantis and red state leaders around the country have been working double time against in the wake of all those white people who are like, you know what? I don't want to be part of this anymore after seeing George Floyd be killed. I don't want to have anything to do with this, and I want to learn more. Hmm. Khalil, you and I are here talking about this AP African American Studies curriculum, and we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue that conversation, but we're going to see how it's also about gender studies and queer studies. Let's do it. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. 
As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History, my podcast about the overlooked and the misunderstood. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Outliers. It was about exceptional people, the ones who operate at the outer edges of human performance. Outliers fascinate me. And last year, I discovered an outlier in the form of a community organization, Washington State's City of Bellevue. The city wanted to improve public safety by making their roads safer. So they created something that no one had ever built before, a platform that gave road users warnings of any dangers ahead in real time. How did they build it? By using a combination of technologies, the cellular vehicle-to-everything network, T-Mobile's 5G network, and 5G-connected cameras. People driving, bicycling, walking, running, can't forget people running, and people operating the transportation network now had a way to prevent crashes. It's been a huge success. The city of Bellevue earned first place in the community category at the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards, an event that celebrates T-Mobile customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of meaningful change. If you're a T-Mobile for Business customer and your team has, like the city of Bellevue, innovated something really, really cool, I encourage you to enter. It's also a great way for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Khalil, we are back. Some of my best friends are... And man, this this AP African-American studies curriculum. All right. So we talked about Baldwin being cut out of it. Another huge sort of hole after the final version comes out is that there was all this stuff on queer studies and gender studies. And, and as we heard DeSantis in the opening, That's right. you know, he was objecting to that. And he says that is not history. And... That's all removed. That's right. Yeah. So he, when he says something like queer theory, and I love his like very um, like fourth grade enunciation, intersectionality, <laughs> he's like, he's, he's essentially creating these 
categories that are dog whistles to his supporters to say that must be bad. And of course, in a time when we are seeing legislative action to ban trans people from having access to health care or access to publicly funded sports, something like queer studies has a direct relationship to the actual political fights that are happening. But that's what education has always been about. Let me give you a really good example of this from my standpoint. You could tell me if you disagree. In the sciences, nobody pretends in the sciences that they aren't solving problems based on hypotheses that will cure cancer, solve global warming, increase safe and clean water, fix irrigation systems in the drying deserts of California. Everyone has a normative goal. Why shouldn't we have a normative goal to solve our understanding of the ways that people's lives are affected by forms of discrimination, bigotry, and systemic inequalities? Now, historians don't necessarily do that, but a lot of other social scientists do that work. And that's the work of people who have been doing queer studies. They've been trying to do something that is really simple. Like, if we can't solve for the fact that trans people are the most likely to experience violence in any other identity-based population, then we're probably not going to fix this problem until we fix it for them. That's simple, right? That is, that is simple. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is, this is sort of low hanging fruit for someone like DeSantis to attack. Um, we, you know, he, his state, Florida, had also passed this don't say gay legislation, which bans the teaching of, uh, in, in, I think, kindergarten through third grade. That's right. Of, of where you, you can't talk about gender identification or sexuality, sexual orientation. That's right. Because the idea essentially, it, you know, as the news has reported, that one, this is inappropriate for kids, and two, that you know this curriculum might convince some kid that they aren't cisgender. Look, I got to tell you this story because this isn't okay. just about you know two smart guys and two smart alecky guys like you and me having this conversation and on our moral high horse, you know, just like all these dumb people, right? This is also you said you said I, I love that you said smart alec. <laughs> the, the other day we were talking and I said I said the word joshing and I was like, man, yeah, what's, you hated yourself what's happening? for that. I remember. <laughs> I was like, what am I doing? What you am know, I becoming? You know, sometimes as we age, you know, we revert back to the mean and you know that whiteness just just just, just bubbling up inside oh, of you. So yeah. so uh, one of my really close friends sends me a text and he's following the news and he literally writes this. He says he's following he's following the news. He's seen you talk about this AP curriculum that's right. on the news. Okay, that's right. Gotcha. So so he's following this particular controversy and he says from the text he says keep fighting the good fight brother. I watched a discussion on MSNBC this morning regarding the issue. And the discussion melded LGBTQ plus civil rights with the current APFM studies. That doesn't sit well with me, but I admit I'm ignorant on many of the LGBTQ concerns. Mm. <laughs> like the LGBTQ concerns. It reminded me of like, I'm ignorant on the blacks and their situation. <laughs> oh, but so, but but he's also being really honest and he's looking to you for he he's trying to understand but he for him these are totally separate things and he feels like it's muddying this is a, a black guy i'm assuming yes that's right yeah and 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 he is saying that you know i'm feeling like these two things shouldn't be conflated in a way they shouldn't be connected that's right but but he's open he's oh he's asking you to like correct him in a way that's correct yeah he he's he's like i'm prepared to admit 
I'm not sure I understand why these things are being put together because for him, it's like, I am a fierce warrior for our black history being taught truthfully, but why do we have to link this to queer theory? So in other words, you can rally behind the black history stuff to some degree, even that's controversial in many ways, but this other stuff is like, it doesn't seem like it's appropriate. No, but even even when you're talking about somebody who is an ally and who is experiencing this is also confused about these connections. So it is, like I was saying, it's much easier to exploit that as a reason to sort of throw it all out. Um, and, and you were talking about intersectionality. And so intersectionality is this idea that our, our different identities and the different ways that, that people experience oppression, that they can, be, they can be interconnected, they can reinforce one another. They're not, they're not wholly separate, and we can think about them in those terms. That's right. So the one way to think about this is both historical and in terms of thinking about how people need certain tools to make sense of their lived experiences today. So historically, Intersectionally, we can understand that someone like James Baldwin was a fierce critic of American racism, and he was gay, and he experienced being gay in ways that made him not as much a celebrated writer in some pockets of Black America at that time than he is today. Similarly, one of the leading towering figures in the civil rights movement, a person who was in many ways, responsible for helping to guide Martin Luther King Jr. was a man named Bayard Rustin, who was also gay. And in fact, his uh, homosexuality, his gayness, was a source of tension so much so that he was essentially pushed to the back of the movement at key moments because people tried to embarrass him by it and said, you know, we're going to expose you so so you can't fully participate. So that's... that's, I also think about I think about Bell Hooks, who's also you know deeply involved in in the the study of intersectionality and who identified as queer, uh, of also being removed from from this curriculum as well. Well, not just that; she's been banned like Toni Morrison and some of the others, even before the AP African American Studies curriculum. Right. She passed recently too, which makes it even more sad. But you asked this question about intersectionality in terms of the specific way in which it is such a charged issue. And one way that is, is because a person who's, who is credited for coining the term, her name is Kimberly Crenshaw. She's a law professor and she essentially coined this term in 1989 because she was trying to make sense in legal studies, in in cases, the differences between white women's experiences with employment discrimination and black women's experiences with employment discrimination. They weren't the same. All women were suffering from uh, a lack of promotion. They were subjected to serial sexual harassment and they were paid much less than their male counterparts. But black women experienced all those things plus the additional anti-black racism, which meant that what they were experiencing was even worse. Not to say that these things always have to be compared on a hierarchical scale, but if you were only solving for gender issues for women in the workplace, you were not solving for race issues amongst women of color too. That's it. That was the, that's kind of the original, like contemporary version of intersectionality. So a curriculum that doesn't think about all the ways that these are interconnected, you're, you're missing out on an understanding of the world. It, this is how the world yeah, works. Yeah, yeah. So what did you tell your friend? Well, I told him, I said, you can't actually understand the fullness of the civil rights movement 
uh, without understanding the people who actually made it happen. We just, it's just another form of mythology. It's, you know, it's like one that we feel good about. I mean, I, I didn't tell him this, but I, you know, would also say like a lot of black churches that supported the civil rights movement were also simultaneously discriminating against black people who were gay, either closeted or outwardly from sure. fully participating yeah. in the life of the church. So, yeah. so this is something that today contemporary social justice movements have been very active to correct for. And the reason why they've been active in correcting for it is because it was an issue and it did hurt the movement and it created divisions and it cre also created unfinished business, literally, like things that never got solved for. And so Black Studies was totally built to look at that dance between what happened in the past, what have we learned from the past, and how does that help us make sense of our current condition? Man, man, I, I got I got so much going on in my head right now. <laughs> I actually need to take a short break. And let's pause for a minute. Let's come back and let's talk more about how all these contemporary issues are removed from the curriculum. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. In my book, David and Goliath, I tried to figure out how some people find the strength to take on the established way of thinking and turn it upside down. What does it take to be a disruptor? And I concluded that a disruptor is someone with a rare combination of three traits. First, you have to be open. You have to be willing to see and do things in new ways. Secondly, you have to be conscientious, to follow through and make things happen. Those two are obvious. But the third one is the crucial one. You have to be willing to do what you think is right, even when everyone around you thinks you're an idiot. There isn't a brilliant innovator in history who wasn't surrounded by naysayers. Most of us can't take that kind of criticism, and we fold. But the disruptor doesn't. They soldier on. I've been looking at disruptors and their success stories a lot lately, partly because I'm working on a follow-up to The Tipping Point, and market disruption plays a key role in how ideas take off but also because I'm going to be the keynote speaker at this year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business. It's an event where customers are recognized for kicking convention to the curb to elevate their company, while also doing meaningful things for their community and even the world. In fact, I'll be presenting the first ever Tipping Point designation, a new special distinction honoring one entrant that sparked transformative change for their organization. If this event sounds like your thing, I encourage you to find out more or even enter the unconventional awards to be recognized for your disruptive thinking. Win a donation to a charity of your choice. 
and much more. You can enter before July 31st at tmobile.com slash unconventionalawards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventionalawards. I'll save you a seat. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. Okay, so we're back from the break. And I just want to go back to Kimberly Crenshaw for a minute. Like, she is a critical race theorist. That's who she is. She's been that for her entire career. That's what you get from that body of work to help make sense of the world as it actually operates. And that's a powerful thing. It's kind of like, for me, anti-scientism at its best. It's like, The scholarship has moved on from where DeSantis thinks it was when he was a student to a better place, just as science does. And he's like, nah, I don't like these. uh, I don't like these updates. Uh, Let's stick with the old ones. Let's stick Hmm. with what we used to know, because that makes us all feel better. Yeah. What he talked about is truth. To him, that truth is a sort of very narrow and very palatable one. That's right. Um, and doesn't, doesn't, isn't challenging in ways that are uncomfortable. So, yeah, you're talking about truth. Well, one of those truths is that the United States has the largest prison system the world has ever known. That's not news, right, to us. You've written right, about it. Right. I've written about it. You know, yep. many people who we are engaged with, this is a well-known thing. But guess what? In the early version of the African-American studies curriculum, there was a whole unit to address this issue. And they were featuring the author and scholar activist, Michelle Alexander. Yes, I said scholar activism, because in Black studies, a lot of people are scholar activists. That's just the way it is. So people read excerpts from the new Jim Crow that was in the curriculum, and now it's been cut out. It has been removed altogether. The AP is moving to the space where some material may not actually be used on the test, but you can opt into studying more deeply a topic. And for this particular topic, it couldn't be more pressing as a societal issue, covering everything from the war on crime and the war on drugs to systemic policing. And of course, as I've already said, this massive punishment system. Okay, so we're talking about Michelle Alexander and the new Jim Crow and you told me that you were going to have dinner with her last Saturday and that you were going to try to record her to just uh, hear a response to how she felt about being cut out of this curriculum. Yeah, the timing couldn't have been better. We were planning to have this conversation and I was going to have a chance to talk to her about it. So we're at a dinner party. Folks are doing the dishes. We've just finished up. 
And it was a little awkward, I'll admit, because, you know, Michelle Alexander is like super famous <laughs> and she's my friend, mm -hmm. but it felt like I was crossing the line between like, okay, uh, hey. by the way, uh, I, I want to, to hear your thoughts on this issue, which has everything that's, to do with that's you. What it means, that's what it means to be a professional podcaster. <laughs> okay. you, gotta, you gotta do the work. <laughs> right. You know, she understands. Yeah. So, so, so here's what she said. I guess I would say that I'm sorry to see it being part of the fascist backlash in Florida uh, to the teaching of truth about our past and our present. Um, I'm not surprised, but I also hope that the teaching of this history isn't limited ever to people who have good GPAs and have access to AP courses. Um, I'm dreaming of freedom schools that make this kind of education available to all students of all colors, no matter what their background or their GPA, or whether it's a college board course or something that's being taught uh, in someone's kitchen or backyard. I think this is history um, we all need to know. Good job, Khalil, getting that tape. That's that's the work. <laughs> Listen, fascist backlash, the truth, and her talking about AP as, you know, there is something, I guess, elitist about it, but that the education that we're talking about needs to happen all over the place. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's great that she's focusing on ways to get this information elsewhere besides from a, an AP curriculum. Well, I just thought, just to echo your point in, the, in what she said, I was actually surprised by her response in that way. Because what she said is, yeah, this is this is fascism winding its way out of Florida and in, impacting the rest of the nation. Of course, this is not the first or only example we could point to. But she's like, this material is so important that it needs to be taught, <laughs> whether it's in classes, classrooms or not. And that's the yeah, bigger yeah. issue, because, as, you know, to use a very academic way of putting it, black studies has always been about fugitive knowledge meaning knowledge that was being policed, knowledge that was criminalized, because knowledge, as we say, as you know, the old Schoolhouse Rocks, uh, you know, little animations would say, knowledge is power. And so the, the, the power to diagnose one's condition matters. And I just want to go back to the college board, because so Michelle's book is omitted, and really everything contemporary is omitted. And, you know, sort of history kind of stops in the 1960s. The College Board says that it cut out most of these books because they're not primary sources. They're secondary sources. That's right. Um, you know, like a primary source would be like an Audre Lorde poem or, or Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail. But uh, that a work of history or a work of journalism or a work of criticism that's secondary. That's right. And that's kind of bogus. It's a, it's a very blurry yeah. line between what is primary and secondary, in part because as history evolves, those things change. What is secondary in one moment later becomes primary. I mean, diary entries, letters between people, even news reporting in the moment, say news reporting about the, the Civil War or the Civil Rights Movement, all primary documents today. And generally, when historians right from the position of the present, looking back on that stuff, we call that secondary sources. And the thing about Michelle's work, just to focus on that in particular, the New Jim Crow, it was a cultural touchstone for a massive re-education or not even re-education, new learning about the scale of the system 
this punishment system and where it came from, meaning what its origins were. So it changed not only hearts and minds, I saw people uh, as in diverse of settings as reading on the New York City subway when it first came out to folks on the beach in Martha's Vineyard reading it. I mean, everybody was reading the new Jim Crow mm -hmm. at some point. And of course, yeah. people organized around it and used it to make policy claims. So it's hard to say yeah. 10 years later whether or not the new Jim Crow is a quote unquote primary or secondary source. What is clear is that it's essential. Listen, I, I just had, I made a timeline for the beginning of my book called Corrections about the prison system. Yes. And, and I put the publication of her book in the timeline because it's a historically important moment. That's right. It is this reevaluation marking toward this movement that in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so towards decarceration. You know, President Obama is the first president to enter a federal prison after this book is published. Right, ever. And I'd say because <laughs> because of this book. That's right. Because of this book. Yeah. It it is it marks a moment in time when thinking about prisons and and our system of incarcerating a, a quarter of the world's prison population changes. That's right. And what an important thing to study just as a historical document. That's a right. historical moment. That's right. Yeah. Um, but listen as you said, it's bogus that the, the the college board is saying this issue about secondary and primary, because that's not really the issue here. I mean, we're, we're, we've sort of been talking about this throughout. The real issue is that these current events, that contemporary issues, are in some ways the most threatening. That's right. That, and, they're also, and they're also the easiest to turn into Ron DeSantis or Trump or whoever propaganda. They're the easiest sort of to, to fire people up about. That's right. Yeah. And and it's not just Michelle Alexander, just to mention a couple of other things, the whole issue of healthcare discrimination. I mean, so many people now have a better sense of how racism in our healthcare system because of COVID-19 is a life or death matter. And people like Dorothy Roberts, who we've had on our show recently talking about the family yeah. policing system, has been a major contributor to understanding this broad history of medical racism and healthcare discrimination and the attack on black women's reproductive rights. And it's not just Dorothy Roberts, it's the entire Black Lives Matter movement that was in the first Man. version of this thing is now completely gone, which, which is astounding. And it just goes on and on at the end of the day. Yeah, and, and it, I mean, it's it's really important to reiterate again that this is not a history curriculum. This is not African-American history curriculum. It's not an AP history class. It's it's African-American studies. So I guess you could make the argument that history is sort of said in a moment, but sort of studying, say, the black experience in America to remove sort of anything from the present, sort of even how that past reverberates up to now, that, that's not, you're not, you're not looking at the field. That's right. You're, you're cutting yourself off. You're not only not looking at the field, but... Here we are having a national conversation yet again about systemic police violence in the case of the, the murder of Tyree Nichols in Memphis that happened just a few weeks ago. And that's right. This is something that Congress is currently debating. I mean, you remember those scholastic newspapers that were current events? Like, <laughs> this you is what. When we were in like elementary yes, school. Yeah. This is current events. And it's depressing current events, but it's most certainly current events. It's part of the world we live in. And, and guess what? If you happen to be a black child and you're living in a household either in Memphis or where your parents are concerned about this and they're watching the news, you're being exposed to this information. You can't escape it. 
So at the end of the day, if we are actually to truly understand what black studies had always been about, it is the basic building block for connecting the dots from the past of slave patrols to racist sheriffs in the Jim Crow South to the kind of policing that's been going on all over America over the last 50 years. That's what black studies yeah, empowers yeah. students to understand and gives them the choice at the end to do something about it or not. Yeah, you know, I, I, it, it makes me think about a lot of the, the energy that has fueled this political censorship. You know, from from critical race theory and the and the the sixteen nineteen project to this AP curriculum, and this idea of a kind of patriotic education, mm. you know, of 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 something about America that you can only think of it in terms of all its ideals, and you know, you if you're white, you shouldn't be made to feel uncomfortable about all of its problematic aspects. Um, maybe you should make celebrate other you know, other races, but maybe even not. Um, and, and that's sort of been behind a lot of this. It's such a, it's such a, um, like almost a childish view of history that, that things are, that are uncomfortable. If you just sort of close your eyes to them, then they don't exist. African-American history and studies has always been in some ironic way, a way of just saying, be true to what you put on paper, as Dr. King once said, like just live up to your own fucking principles. And, and, and like, like, what are we supposed to do with that? We can't even do that without laws being passed to say that is propaganda. So th yeah. that's where we are right now. And that's why this is such a massive issue that isn't going to stop. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're making me think about Michelle Alexander and what she said to you, that the AP curriculum is really important in all the ways that we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. And it's also symbolic. So it's, it's actual students and a, a curriculum, and it's also symbolic of, of all of the censorship and the exclusion that's going on right now. And it's scary both for what it is yep. and, and for what it augurs, what it, what it portends, what, it, what it, it makes us think is possible in excluding more and more and more. And... I've been thinking in our conversation about Baldwin and then also about the new Jim Crow, about a moment last year when I was actually teaching Baldwin inside a maximum security prison here in Illinois. It was late Baldwin, meaning it was sort of Baldwin in the 1980s during the Reagan era mm. before his, his death. I think he dies in 1987. That's right, he does. And... and Baldwin, depressed Baldwin, Baldwin feeling defeated by history, Baldwin, who his friends from the, the civil rights and black power movement are mostly gone, mm -hmm. have been killed, um, they, they, feeling like everything from that moment had failed. And the students, most of them who had, who were roughly our age and had been in prison since they were young men or teenagers, mm -hmm. and most of them had no outdate. And they had such long sentences that they were likely to die in prison or, or to be elderly by the time they get out. That's they, right. they do have those sentences. And how much Baldwin meant to them in understanding uh, the Reagan era and the Trump era and the excitement that was happening, like crackling. You mean, in you a mean classroom. them being able to understand how Baldwin oh, could see was, the same things happening 30 years ago? 
Yeah. And, and just like when you're in a classroom and, and, you know, sparks are flying and it's crackling with energy because people are making these connections. Mm -hmm. It, it was, I could see it better because I was sort of experiencing it, you know, inside this decrepit maximum security prison, what a, what a curriculum can actually do to sort of bring these things together. Yeah. You know, it's, Um, it's, it's, it's liberating. I mean, quick, quick addendum to what you described. I mean, one of the most affecting things I've experienced is talking to a formerly incarcerated person and them say to to me, man, brother, it's nice to meet you. You're one of the most well-read people in prison. Mm. And by that, they mean people are reading the condemnation of blackness and it's yeah. helping them make sense of their reality. That's, you know, I mean, very personally gratifying, but I know that, that this is exactly what your teaching experience has been like for you. Yeah, and this is, it's, you know, a moment like that in that classroom of sort of having to look at Baldwin again much more closely, having to think about the past, which isn't that far away. You know, this is 1980s, which is excluded from this AP curriculum, and thinking about our last five, 10 years. Um, it made sense to me. It made sense to me more. Yeah. And, you know, that's what we want out of this. We don't want to ignore it. We want to try to sort of get inside of these these this, these stories of our of our country. Yeah. So, I mean, in so many ways, you know, what this moment tells us is that knowledge is the building block for changing our society, and Ron DeSantis knows that as well as anybody. <laughs> and he's cutting you're off the spigot. That, that, yeah, you're he's, not saying this in a positive way. Like we, you're saying that. The, uh, the opposition knows that there's, there's, there's power and danger and people knowing too much. Absolutely. That's right. And seeing things for what they are. And therefore, we, if those of us committed to truth, those of us committed to justice, this is all of our fight. And, you know, he's coming for AP African-American studies today. It'll be women and gender studies tomorrow. All right, so, <laughs> folks, folks, folks better get, get ready. Get your yeah. armor on. Yeah, man. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad I have this fight with you, or at least that we are in, in this, this fight, fight together. That's right. I'm not fighting with you right now. We're in this together. <laughs> All right, man. Love you. Love you too. Some of my best friends are is a production of Pushkin Industries. The show is written and hosted by me, Khalil Gibran Muhammad, and my best friend, Ben Austin. This show is produced by Lucy Sullivan. Our editor is Sarah Nix. Our engineer is Amanda K. Wong. And our managing producer is Constanza Gallardo. At Pushkin, thanks to Letal Molad, Julia Barton, Heather Fain, Carly Migliori, John Schnars, Greta Cohn, and Jacob Weisberg. Our theme song, Little Lily, is by fellow Chicagoan, the brilliant Avery R. Young, from his album Tubman. You definitely want to check out his music at his website, averyryoung.com. You can find Pushkin on all social platforms at Pushkin Pods, and you can sign up for our newsletter at pushkin.fm. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. And if you like our show, please give us a five-star rating and a review. And listen, even if you don't like it, give it a five-star rating and a review. And please tell all of your best friends about it. Thank you.
woke woke indoctrination 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 <laughs> is it indoctrination there's your easter woke egg indoctrination yeah, woke indoctrination the tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.